Chats. A podcast where communists sit down to shoot the shit about current events, history, political economy, and theory. This episode, we continue our discussion and read-through of Critique of the God program with Constance. talking about before we went live oh oh a lot of things yeah we, we we were making an appeal to our listeners that uh swampside chats is now powered by artificial intelligence we're putting ourselves out of work um by automating our our role in uh translating and analyzing uh you can't actually automate the an- uh analysis i'm taking care oh, of it sure. i guess no problem yes, no, no, no. i'm i'm, put, no, I'm gonna... what's the problem surely a machine has a cognitive grasp right like i can't think of any long-standing yeah, just... philosophical theory that gets into yeah. that it would be it would be so dope to just like do a deep like a sort of like ai model where you just like input like i don't know like <laughs> stalin pol pot um fritz wolfheim <laughs> you just like put in like all the texts all, everything you can and just ask them to like all right write write me a, a minimum and maximum program get, go and yeah. see what he yeah. see what what they crank out and then just you just post that as like the new manga communism uh manifesto and people will latch onto it because people yeah or the I, new mug manifesto yeah I, I mean i feel like we, i feel like we've reached like peak ai at this point like i think people i don't know it seems like it's plateaued in terms of like what it's capable of doing i mean that might shift at any point no, but, I, th- I think that's 100% right for what we got here because I uh, ChatGPT4 used to be able to write like a basic proof um, and like have decent logic like in ironing everything out and uh, now I, when I ask it to just prove something basic in ChatGPT4, it's fucking up. So yeah, peak AI has passed and uh, the singularity is not upon us. Maybe maybe better AI will come in the future, but something tells me it will lack the capacity for cognitive grasp, which is why you should go to patreon.com slash website chats so that we can, uh, you know, as machines enslave us, we will um, make the Faustian bargain with the artificial intelligence uh, at the center of the universe and, you know, apply it to try to prevent our hopes and dreams from morphing into fascism. Because like, they don't even fully understand yet how the mind actually works, so I don't understand how they're supposed to like replicate that. I mean, I understand they can teach, they can get the machines through like brute force and a series of like if then statements to sort of simulate learning, right? Yeah, but it, the, yeah, this, yeah, it gets like uh, it just. I I feel like the use of AI, one of the best uses I've had for it has been, of course, to help with translating stuff, mm-hmm. which is. Already then, like the amount of things you can now read using like a, a Google Google Lens, and then just maybe just you know copy pasting stuff in an AI translator for for like passages that like are complicated, like you can get a lot out of that. People have had to like spend years learning languages to just like be able to do that. To yeah, at least, yeah. Like, get a glimpse. Yeah, that and was that was, that was like a godsend for me in Japan. Like I could actually like read signs and stuff. You know? Yeah, <laughs> like, and as and you know, as Marx. Yes. as Mark said, a foreign language is a weapon in the struggle for of life. Yeah. Amen. 
That's why I'm happy Google Translate helps me with my Amazon support and grinder messages. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, Should we? I think we're at this accordingly. Is that right? Um. Yes. All right. So, accordingly, the individual producer receives back from society after the deductions have been made exactly what he gives to it. What he has given to it is his individual quantum of labor. For example, the social working day consists of the sum of the individual hours of work. The individual labor time of the individual producer is the part of the social working day contributed by him, his share in it. He receives a certificate from society that he has furnished such and such an amount of labor after deducting his labor for the common funds. And with this certificate, he draws from the societal supply of means of consumption as much as the same amount of labor cost. The same amount of labor that he has given to society in one form, he receives back in another. Right. So, yeah, this is the whole idea of basically time chits. This is time chits. Time chits, This is the baby. time chits thing. This is where, See, yeah. Woo! See, we're, yeah. Not, we're not nihilists. We've believed in time chits the whole time. Yeah. That we're invariant on time chits. We've never given yeah. up time chits. Well, I, I, we, we've never caved to communizer or Stalinoid pressure to give up time chits. Well, it's also like important to like, you know, define like the time chits. You know, he, as he says, there's like, it's related to like the individual labor time. But be, because the mediation of that, like wage labor, you know, the, the reason wage labor is so um, sort of like, it's like sort of a feather on the productive process is the fact that how to put this everything has to be done like kind of like indirectly through like you know fluctuations in the market and there, there's no there, there's not even the possibility of like thinking things through and just like knowing you know just like talking about inputs and outputs because that, that's not what's actually like what's going on when you know in capitalism there's a lot more complicated than that right well because i mean at the base of like marx's whole theory is that like there is something that is integral about labor time in any kind of like economic like rationality or calculation like you it's it's the one like aspect that's common to all commodities and all like forms of remuneration that can't that's like irreducible like it can't be because like anything that is rare or more difficult is going to take more like labor inputs to extract or to transport and all so that's basically how value gets like added into things and so that has to be like the basis that you use in some ways yes like marx is like he criticizes like the labor theory of value but he does also seem to agree with his basic premises that labor is the most like common the most common basis that you would use to analyze and account for what is happening in society because human beings interfacing with raw materials um, is the thing that is really being measured here, right? It's really about the management of time in a sense that people input into things. And so that's, I mean, now, yes, obviously you do have to like in a planning context, take into account material limits of things and environmental impacts and so on and so forth i think you would still have in terms of especially a stage of communism where it was 
not maybe as high of a degree of automation that you could just rely on volunteer labor to implement the social ne socially necessary labor needed to reproduce society. If you're still at that stage, you would definitely need, I think, in order to have a fair means of of managing the scarcity that does exist within society. Um, and and within this framework, we've talked about this a million times, but it bears repeating. I think he's, does he use the like uh, ticket to like the theater thing as an example later? Um, I, this, I, 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 can, I can quote from uh, vol volume two where like um, he has like a little passage on this. So here. Sure. Um, so this is from volume two. So sometimes I, there's like some remarks that like touch on this, but this is important because uh, volume two was kind of, um, it was being, most of the manuscripts that were used for volume two were written around the time he might've been writing the critique either before or just after it. So it like in 1875. So here, uh, quote, in the case of socialized production, the money capital is eliminated. Society distributes labor power and means of production to different branches of production. The producers may, for all it matters, receive paper vouchers entitling them to withdraw from the social supplies of consumer goods, a quantity co corresponding to their labor time. These, these vouchers are not money. They do not circulate. And what's what's it what's interesting here is the the for all it matters, pointing to like the paper vouchers, which, uh, it kind of like, it kind of hints to the fact that um, in volume one, when uh, Marx elaborates on uh, what money is in the first few chapters, there's a point where he kind of talks about you know money being like also a legal creature, right? And for it to be a legal, you know. It, it, it there there needs to be national borders and a national state to like regulate the the, the money so what when he's talking about you know these vouchers there might not be like there it does not um it does not exclude like a centralized you know sort of uh quote unquote you know government that would be able to facilitate you know what these paper vouchers entitle you to, but they're supposed to be like sort of like bottom up receipts, more like that would go from the bottom to the top to like know the information, you know what la what labor is being contribu contributed, and then like all this, you know, the kind of stuff that like the GIC sort of talks about in its yeah. own way. Yeah, it's hard for me to you know look at this stuff without thinking of the GIC because. A lot of that stuff, you know, and I haven't looked at it recently, just seems like the logical, you know, consequence, like a, a an almost pure corollary of the things Marx is saying. Which is in, which is interesting because the GIC got to that from reading um, the Capital volumes. They didn't even get that from the 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 Gotha critique because it wasn't like published that much. Like it was published in the night the New Zeit during like a controversy with um, when they were writing up the Erfurt program. Uh, Leibniz Leibniz apparently like criticized was like kind of quoting or criticizing Marx's critique without saying that it was, and that's what made the Engels upset and wanted, he like kind of prodded Kautsky to publish the critique and kind of skipped, skipped out on like a warning Babel and Babel got angry that the, this was a, this was done. And he called Kautsky like dogmatic. And from some of the accounts, I think like Kautsky was kind of like 
he wasn't that eager at first to publish it, so Ingalls is like kind of pushing him into that role. Right. So you're, yeah, they, they basically they didn't actually get it from this, but just got yeah because he talks about it in other other places. So I could see how you basically arrive at that point. And this has been like a subject of debate. I mean, this does presuppose like some degree. You're right. Of somebody has to certify what an actual like labor voucher is. So there, but within any kind of situation, there does have to be like higher orders of planning because there are higher degrees of abstraction within how the economy functions. So, you know, there, it couldn't just be isolated individual, like federated communes that were all doing their own thing because you have to, you have to have some degree of planning to adjudicate how resources get distributed between those things because, you know, there's differentials in things like uh, natural resources. Yeah. And the, the having, you know, and also sometimes it's not just about like you know equality it's also because um all these desperate you know sort of um i wouldn't say enclaves but you know different like nodes in their production process the conditions there aren't equal but the fact that you're kind of like you can link all all of these uh, nodes up kind of manages to sort of equalize some of uh, the disparities and so some of the the, the the deficiencies in some of the notes can be compensated because you have access to so many different uh, how we say um, communes exactly yeah you have access to like so many different communes across uh, different geographic spaces and sort of had a more balanced approach to the economy right because the, the 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 whole Marxian insight is essentially that the economy is political. It's not separate. Um, Mm -hmm. And so these communes are going to be making economic decisions politically, essentially that they're going to have to, because all basically everyone that's doing it is going to be like everyone that's actually involved in getting these resources together is involved in decision-making in, in, you know, some meaningful respect TBD. Um, And so the classic swamp side example is like cobalt for computer chips so that you can have the computation power to do what exactly. And cobalt is not evenly distributed throughout the world. Yeah. Um, and as we've learned from horrific conversations online about whether bananas justify like near slave conditions, um, the availability or of bananas. Lithium mining. Or before, lithium mining. Yes. Yeah, this yeah. this proceed the, the lithium mining discourse preceded the the banana discourse. Yeah, so more but, relevantly, lithium mining. Yeah. Um <laughs> we're gonna have to take, you know, those workers whose either, you know, whose ha- hands are gonna be mining that shit, or, you know, whose whose land is going to be uh, turned out to pump out this important resource for the whole world, but it's, you know, it's their land. There's a lot of mineral situations that happen to be lodged in a holy mountain somewhere. You know, is that, is that community of workers? Do they want to mine their holy mountain? Like, (laughs) how do we feel about that? How do they, but more importantly, how do they feel about it? (laughs) Like, um, yeah. So these, these things can't be decided you know, with abstract like algorithms or whatever, it has to have the humans involved taking that into their own hands. Politically, yeah, and, so and, and this obviously 
complicates things and it's not compatible with you know what usually gets passed off as planning which is just command planning which um <laughs> to, to say the least um kind of entirely defeats the purpose of what planning for marks or angles would be if we're charitable yeah i mean but even if even if we okay we said you know what actually fuck computers Communism is going to be like everybody gets some land and we're all just going to like grow our own food and smoke our own weed. And that's, you know, that's going to be we're just going to do the maximalist version of degrowth communism. Even then, you're going to have like yeah. different differentials in soil quality that's going to produce mm. like inequality. So it's like, yeah, there's there's no way out of that out of that question. And yeah, I imagine there probably would be like some instances where, you know, the needs that like you because you can't create a global like integrated economic system. Yeah. It or any yeah. one group can do can essentially block and say I block this. You're never like nothing's going to happen. Like you know, there's there are probably going to have to be people who you know have to sacrifice certain things in sure, order. But, you know, yeah. How do how do they make the decisions? You know, like if mm-hmm. if we're not ceding our, you know, au- the autonomy of these decision making powers to a neo reactionary god AI, like or or the you know the human administrated equivalent on, you know, some future nightmare, everything app. Um, like what, what trade-off is there going to be so that people are cool with mining, uh, something that maybe they don't want to mine or yeah. Even in, in your example, Jacob, you know, growing your own food and weed, what happens if people run out of weed or, or maybe food, you know, um, <laughs> like what, you know, what happens if there's a bad harvest and one, part of the world surely based on the gothic critique and just you know baseline i th- i would say baseline humanism but we all know at a certain point swords mean nothing um that uh that we wouldn't just let people starve because oh, i don't know this is my food i added my labor to it yeah. like adam smith said yeah well it's, it's also for like for i think for marx there's like sort of uh one of his presuppositions is that, you know, humans associate, which is kind of seems basic, but I think he, um, I think also the, the, the way he kind of like gets there is like Hegel's uh, critique of contractualism, where he sort of like, Marx kind of like gets, well, yeah, there, the idea that like, you know, the state just, you know, at some point, you know, how do you sign a contract and that you kind of like agree to it? And then this is why you're you're in a society, and you know, if for some reason if it didn't if it didn't um, suit your fancy, you could just like get out of the contract, right? Yeah, and it's also one of his. It attacks the John Locke at the base of uh, Adam Smith. Yeah, and also this is one of the things that like Marx really didn't like about Proudhon is like uh, his uh, sort of contractualism. Right, and it's sort of his kind of like reliance on um, exactly this tradition of like John John Locke uh, and his uh, epigones. All right, so we ready to we ready to press the gas on this baby. Mm-hmm. So here, here, obviously, right? Yeah. Here, obviously, the same principle prevails as that which regulates the exchange of commodities, insofar as this is exchange involving equal worth. Content and form are changed, 
because under the altered circumstance, no one can give anything except his labor, and because, on the other hand, nothing can pass to the ownership of individuals except individual means of consumption. But as far as the distribution of the latter among the individual producers is concerned, the same principle prevails as in the exchange of commodity equivalents. A given amount of labor in one form is exchanged for an equal amount of labor in another form. Hence, equal right here is still in principle bourgeois right, although principle and practice are no longer at loggerheads, while the exchange of equivalents in commodity exchange exists only on the average and not in the individual case. Right here, um, there's an interesting another uh, passage, I think, from volume two that uh, kind of touches on this. Um, so I can read it here. Um, it's actually kind of a page, but I'll, I'll, I'll read the relevant section. Um, quote, as we have seen in industry proper, this work of cleaning is performed by the workers for nothing during breaks. And for this reason, it is often actually done during the production process itself where it is a major source of accidents. This labor does not count in the price of the product. In this respect, the consumer receives it gratis, so for free. The capitalist, moreover, does not have to pay anything for the maintenance of his machine. The worker pays in his own person, and this form one of the mysteries of capital's self-preservation, constituting in point of fact a legal claim of the workers on the machinery, and making him a co-owner of this, even from the standpoint of bourgeois right. And um, it links a footnote, um, here, so burgerlich right, but right evidently in the philosophical sense of jurisprudence rather than in, than that of positive law. And it refers back to Critica da Gava program. There's even, this also is a big point in um, Lenin's interpretation. Yes, of yes, a, in the state yeah. of revolution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This, this, this is exactly it. This is the, this is the central uh, deepity, the central bait and switch at the heart of the state and revolution is that yeah, bourgeois it's... right means bourgeois law. And so we just put up the same shit, baby. Like, yeah. And the funny thing is, is that we have foot, we have like a margin notes by Stalin and Stalin realized this. <laughs> he, he even realizes this. And uh, yeah. Oh, Koba. You see, like, this impulse, too, like, in the even in, like, the early, like, American, like, proto-socialist movements where uh, when, when America first started to industrialize, there was this immediate kind of intuitive sense, well, the people, like, working in the factory should own a piece of it, you know? Mm -hmm. It, it kind of also goes to show that for Marx, it's, like, it's not even about the, like, he, he, he doesn't care that much about claims to, like, the ownership, right, of the... Uh, of the means of production within bourgeois society he more cares about the fact that it should be a sort of you know it should be put in a place where it can like it cannot be you know monopolized by any class so that no no one can be like you know oh you can only work from now on when i give you you know your wage and then if i don't give you a wage you don't get to work or do anything using the productive apparatus of society. Right. Well, there's, yeah, the, the ideally in this period, in this periodization he's imagining, there would be the actual, there would be an actual, an actualization of the fairness that is presented within the current system. Right. 
Like there wouldn't be surplus value extraction. Now there would still be money that would go back into the system in order to like reproduce and expand it, which is money. Again, and, yeah, we know what we right. need by money, but yeah, it's mostly yeah, just we, accounting for you know stuff. You know. right, and that which is you know a necessary consequence of you know any economic system right? you know you basically there has to be like some bit that is reinvested um in it in order to keep it functional um otherwise you're at a point where you're basically just everybody's um you know stealing the scenery from the theater and the sh- then the show's over you know yeah you know the old school tragedy of the commons uh and it's diminishing returns whereas like this bit about right and this reading of right is the flashpoint that separates what I would call a neo-reactionary reading of Marx that kind of overlaps, frankly, with some anarchist readings of right, where right is always this... Uh, bourgeois right is always the negation of the true right, like the true, you know, um, what would exist in a communist society. What, you know, if if Bakunin is following the labor chits or something, like you know what what bits would what bits of bourgeois right that would still exist like uh what actually it just sort of sounded out an inconsistency in bakunin but whatever um the point is that like if you just think bourgeois right is always a sham man and you go with like the anti you know right in this sense of the word uh reading of marx you end up in a crazy place and it was a place that um Stalin was very comfortable with going uh, and being able to marshal Marx in this is, uh, is interesting Oh, because I mean, yeah, he doesn't just marshal the neo-reactionary or the reactionary reading of Marx, but he also actually, he, he has a way of playing the part where Marx is talking about bourgeois right as actually as bourgeois right entailing some form of inequality that has like a fair root to it that goes on in the next paragraph. I feel like the city's coming alive when I'm, I'm trying to make this point. I feel like the, the Spanish are trying to stop my anti-fascist thoughts. Um, yeah. I just suppose you have their siesta right now. Isn't this siesta time? What time? Yeah. <sighs> you know, you only have a siesta if you're not working, right? Like, I don't know. The, the Catalans don't sleep during the siesta. They just... You know, they just chill out. And for for Stalin, in his like in his bar, like marginal notes, you will find like stuff like literally like Marx equal better than Engels, or like Stalin would be like Lenin plus Marx, but doesn't like mention Engels. <laughs> like so, no, no, but, like basically, like he he takes a I think Lenin's like um you know remark like maybe Marx is more of an etatist than the uh, Engels, and just kind of like runs with it. And then mm-hmm. just like then get like gets mad at like Engels like ultra like old, the ultra leftist Engels and anti during like suggesting that like maybe you don't devalue production under like lower faith communism right and he gets really mad about it yeah um, whereas there is this interest like this is I think this is the flashpoint in readings of Marx that that bourgeois right even more than like capitalist means of production or something has this has this transitional role. And that's really the thing that bridges communism and capitalism. I think the next paragraph will flesh this out well. In spite of this advance, this equal right 
is still constantly encumbered by a bourgeois limitation, the right of the producers is proportional to the labor they supply. The equality consists in measurement that is made with an equal standard, labor. But one person is superior to another physically or mentally, and supplies more labor in the same time, or can labor for a longer time, and labor, to serve as a measure, must be defined by its duration or intensity, otherwise it ceases to be a standard of measurement. This equal right is an unequal right for unequal labor. It recognizes no class differences because everyone is only a worker like everyone else, but it tacitly recognizes unequal individual endowment and thus productive capacity of the workers as a natural privilege. It is therefore a right of inequality in its content like every right. A right by its very nature can consist only in the application of an equal standard, but unequal individuals, and they would not be different individuals if they were not unequal, are measurable only by an equal standard insofar as they are brought under an equal criterion grasped only in terms of a specific aspect. For instance, in the present case are regarded only as workers and nothing more is seen in them, everything else being ignored. Moreover, one worker is married, another is not. One has more children than another, and so on and so forth. Thus, with equal labor productivity, and hence an equal share in the consumption, in the social consumption fund, one will in fact receive more than another, one will be richer than another, etc. To avoid all these defects, right would have to be unequal rather than equal. But these defects are inevitable in the first phase of communist society, as it is when it has just emerged after prolonged birth pangs from capitalist society. Right can never be higher than the economic form of society and the cultural development conditioned by it. And Hudis, who you know introduces this edition of Gotha program in Another one of his uh, texts, um, Marx's Concept of the Alternative to Capitalism. He has an interesting remark here that I might want to read about this. Um, sorry, so I'm going to quote. <clears throat> Moreover, a higher phase of communism is distinguished from a lower phase in that labor time no longer serves as a measure. Even in lower phase, of course, labor time does not exist as a measure in the same way as socially necessary labor time does in capitalism. As Plato once famously noted, nothing that is perfect is the measure of anything. Socially necessary labor time is a perfect standard of or measure, since even though its magnitude is constantly shifting and changing, it confronts the producers as a fixed form in the market that is not beholden to, beholden to the particular needs and desires. Actual labor time, on the other hand, is a very different kind of measure. It is imperfect since it is calculated on the basis of varied and changing actions of discrete individuals. It does not confront the producers as a fixed form that is not beholden to their particular needs and desires. Nevertheless, by the time we reach a higher phase of socialism or communism, actual labor time too ceases to be a measure. There's no longer a need for labor in any form to serve as a standard or measure. Yeah, I, I appreciate that, you know, nice interpretation, humanist commentary on this, because, again, this is where shit can get real dicey if you really fall in love with this form of inequality. You, you have to use it as a standard because it's, you know, in some way necessary but you want to move beyond it. And that can't be two distinct societies in the old school Stalinist sequence. It's never gonna 
never going to be. You're just going to build the one society with the unequal standard and of bourgeois right. You're, you're never going to get beyond it. Or yeah, and, and that's you know an, what? And, and that's the ideal. You're probably not even going to do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, the the thing is, like you know, the lower and higher phase. Uh, it's not something that like Lenin makes up, but he does. You know, well. Actually, that's interesting because in his uh, manuscripts for Satan Revolution, he does distinguish between lower phase and higher phase communism. But in the, you know, the Satan Revolution, he changes lower phase to like be socialism, which gives it a more like distinct feel to it. And um, how to put this? Uh, because, Because he does like, you know, Lenin... Well, actually, I, I should read... Um, I should read um, the, this exactly. This is from, and this is crazy. So what I'm about to read is from like a guy who was in the SBGB who turned out to be, to like who converted to like Mises libertarianism. But so wait, also, that's a socialist party of Great Britain? Yeah. Yeah. It's one okay. of, an SBGB guy who turned out to turn to like a Misesian like libertarian, but also has like a book, has a book on like, planning and marks where he has like stuff like that okay so let me read quote lenin seems to have noticed that what he attributes to marx is not actually stated by marx and he therefore offers an argument that is implicit in marx he points out that marx uses the term law to describe distribution in the first phase of communism and claims that the existence of law implies the existence of a state however the term used by marx is not gesset law but rect which according to context can mean right entitlement justice or law the term rect does not imply a state <laughs> which I, I I have run into this argument by people who are not libertarians, which tells me that this guy like might might have like unironically like read read his brain into like mush scramble and turned to libertarian because he can deal with like all the all the contradictions of like people like kind of yeah, it's strange. But what he says there is not, you know, that out there in the sort of critical commentaries of that aspect of uh, Lenin. And we can see that like with Stalin, like he, he does like kind of realize like Lenin is kind of, uh, is not being too consistent. And that's why he kind of just says, Oh, well, we're, we're going to keep money uh, under, uh, under lower phase. And also maybe, maybe also in higher phase. (laughs) It depends. Well, here's part of the problem, right? Because, like, what Marx is trying to do is here, he's trying to basically suss out how you take this um, the civilization, not only where, like, social mores are designed to accommodate the system that exists, but you basically have higher levels of subsumption where the very, like, machinery and infrastructure is built to uh, reproduce capitalist society, Right. So how how do you transition out of that in a smooth way that it doesn't involve like you know famines or or the kind of disruptions that can expose you to uh, massive shocks in the system that hurt a lot of people? Um, like you basically need some degree of like labor time calculation and remuneration because this system and the 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 machinery and everything that you inherit from it is still going to be a little bit alienating once like work has become uh, de-alienated from people, all that really matters is like getting it done, right? 
um, if you're like working collectively with people on something and you, what you care about more than anything else is achieving the end goal, you don't really care that much if you're working a little harder or not than the other people around you insofar as you're moving towards the goal within the time frame that you want, right? So if you can get to a point where people have been de-alienated from their labor and they feel as though they are part of this broader um, you know, social action towards what they want, then you don't really have to focus on this ticky-tacky levels of, of abstract remuneration because everybody's kind of – and you don't have to account for labor time in the same way because um, – all that matters is that, you know, we collectively are working to achieve our goals and reproduce the society. And it's also um, because for, for Marx, you know, when he says it's like, you know, the transition period can be only like the revolutionary uh, dictatorship of the proletariat. What he kind of also means by this is, you know, changing the environment around us. And that also includes like the production, like apparatus and how, you know, people get to interact with it. And it also it deals with like town and country uh, the the town and country divide. This this is actually where like maybe like the more uh, interesting aspect of like someone like Bordiga comes to where like you know he's, mm-hmm. the, yeah. the, the the engineer the the engineer uh, br- brain sees in in this like oh so we we can have like a lot much better like distribution across you know the Earth's crust of uh, of people instead of just having like concentrate like specific concentrations and then you know different levels of periphery around the metropoles and cut this is all pointing to the like the deep way in which marx has an interesting relationship to egalitarianism i i don't believe marx that he's not an egalitarian i know that he doesn't see equality as a as a value like he you know shits on it every chance he gets but you know, deep down, there's he's a, he's a, he's actually there's equal. There's equal human dignity between laborers here, even if you're getting a different part of. Uh, even even if this inequality under bourgeois right persists, and 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 then you know after bourgeois right fades away, whatever inequality is still there. Like there's something deeply egalitarian about it, but Marx almost always chooses violence in taking the polemical road of pointing out how this in in a, in a sense violates a an obsession with equality mm-hmm. which makes sense once you know you know all the utopian socialists and like how mm-hmm. there are there the arguments context. yeah the 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 reason he affirms you know inequalities like uh when he's like doing his angles as a tube like you know when he's doing like the edge lord uh, bit is because you know what he wants is you know a sort of practical equality where like who cares you know if you have like different abilities as long as society is organized in a way where like the the consequences they would get in like capitalist society because you of different abilities is subsumed or like it doesn't matter for him and his uh, sort of communal association, whatever you want to call communism, because since every since everyone gives his individual individual like quanta of labor, then there's a sort of like evening out in the long run. So that it doesn't. Well, and yet, 
and there's an upper end with because like if labor time chits would not accumulate, there's an upper end limit to exactly how much the you would basically be narrow. They were still inequalities, but the band would be much much narrower. Yeah, and for, for like for example, in the passage we just read when he's talking about you know people have more children than others, even as like in his like eighteen forty eight like demands. Uh, there is like a section being like, oh yeah, we'll we'll have like equality of wages, but also, you know, we gotta make sure that like people who have more kids get more. So there's already like that political aspect to it, where like it will be just like an autonomous system of you know uh, remuneration, where like there, you can't have like a recourse to be like, well, I have I have more needs. And these needs happen to be like I have to like feed my family, or f- yeah, yeah. I, I guess at at this point, like the the sort of workerism of this document and tradition kind of gets in the way of thinking about you know universal human needs. You could think of a family as a unit with a worker and a bunch of kids that are subsumed under that worker as a person, and so that person is getting an unequal share. Or you could think of it as feeding everybody, mm-hmm. like individually. <laughs> yeah. So it's also about like not being like, oh, well, since since uh, you're the patriarch and you have more uh, kids to feed, we'll give you more. But it's also in tandem to that, you know, Marx and Engels do think that you have to undermine undermine the family structure because they've read their their Hegel and they kind of get that like, oh, that's what like one of the pillars of. Uh, of current society is the family unit. Yeah. And so, you know, because of the realities of production in their time, like they're maybe not, you know, thinking quite so, I don't know, uh, literally about individuals when they're writing. Um, But I think it's not hard to see how that kind of gets around this problem of, well, how come this guy gets, you know, five portions of food? Well, because he's got a wife and four kids. Um, you, you know, you could you could just think of it as each person getting a portion of food. <laughs> yeah, which also is not the same thing as like, oh, I there's really like a, a bureaucracy like managing all this and they just kind of appropriate no, more no, food from them. Yeah. It's not like a fucking jackboot post office. Like... That's that's one of the most insane shit. Oh, you know, it'll be like a crowd post office. It'll be like a big mustache post office. You know, re- it'll be nice and run on time. All the mail will come on time. Like, it has nothing to do with that shit. That is, that is not what this is about. <laughs> that, you know, um, I, I was always very defensive of Lenin and State and Revolution. And I credit uh, Aaron Beninev of Endnotes for just sort of pointing out to me, look, this is... Okay, you could we can quibble about what, what Lenin means by socialism and if he thinks that that's it, its own stage of society. But is it real? You know, he loves the post office. Are you telling me the post office is going to uh, post office world is going to fade away to this commune world? How? I, I don't know. I think the post office is pretty cool. Center of de-alienation, the post office. You know, no hate to postal workers. Um, yeah i mean look it, it's you know that every every place has shootings now like they were just you know ahead of the <laughs> oh they're the vanguard like <laughs> yeah look i mean hey look the post office it's like you know 
to uh, quote Frederick Jameson, it served as a rep as a place for people who needed to drop out of society, but they obtained like a, sta- a decent standard of living. Um, you know, they're traversing uh, their communities gives them a novel relation to urban space. <laughs> you know, it's uh, that's why we need know, the bring back the draft. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, what's interesting with the, like, you know, there's a lot of critiques we could make of like Lenin's like I die idealization of like the German war economy and you know how he wasn't the only one but if you take the post office um, you know as more of a metaphor you kind of like you know a post office is something that like would allow you is to be able to communicate with people across the world or like across continents in a matter of like you know days or weeks depending so when you when you think about it you know today how like communication is like instantaneous transfer of information it lets you kind of like maybe you can be like well the kernel of truth and like the heavy-handed you know reliance on the the war economy example um you can kind of understand it as like being defensible in that context to be like oh it's like it's the modernity that we need to like be actual actually be able to have like communal links across like like a vast like a swat of land like in russia yeah i guess the way i always tried to defend it is that it was a um you know this it's it's something that's run in a bourgeois way for use value you know you're not which is i don't know at the time the post office is not like stacking stacking huge profits or something it's um yeah, it's and, an institution that may very well run at a loss, but its utility is the prime thing that is prized about it. And I mean, I don't know. That seems a little naive to me today, but I also, I don't think things being useful will, you know, go away. Yeah, th- 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 this is a, also an interesting um, conundrum because the the focus on like, oh, capitalist production is about exchange values, but socialism or communism is going to be about use values like you 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 sort of like get in a weird spot where your conception of communism is sort of a shift of capitalism to like to a better to like a purpose it can already achieve within itself but it's restricted because the focus is not where it should be and this gets into like problems of like you know well, use value is not like something that's like. Well, it has to stand in relation to a value form. It's not just anything being useful abstractly. Yeah, and it's, it's and when when you read like I don't know second international like uh, talk, talks about you know what a future communist society would look like, you do run into a lot of you know the use value fetishism that you arrive at, and it doesn't like help you understand what needs to be done to be rid of exchange value. Right, because at worst, what they're saying is, well, why don't we just run a bunch of capitalist enterprises really unprofitably? Which is, <laughs> it's that this this ties into like some of uh, Stalin's, uh, mo- like by the end of his life, I think he had like a big fight with Khrushchev about, you know, enterprises uh, running like losses, but Stalin insisting that as long as like the whole productive apparatus, you know, comes out even, then it's okay. And Khrushchev was kind of insisting on like uh, 
trying to like push more for like uh, the individual enterprises having a profit or what they call profit or whatever they want to fucking call it. Like, oh god, I'm trying to understand like the the the, the Sovietes like talk about economics is sometimes like oh, yeah, god. so so they don't have to look in the mirror and be like we're exploiting surplus. Yeah, I mean, you know, as we've seen in the last you know fifteen years, like companies can run for a long time without making money. So. As long as the overall economy, as long as there's something happening somewhere. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, like, uh, a lot of these, like, big tech companies are, you know, not pricing for profit. They're they're pricing for the, the I suppose, the use value of driving their fucking competitors out of, out of, out of existence so that they can, you know, have a market stranglehold. And then later, maybe they'll turn some profits. And there's, there's a... An ability to think more long term, not quite as long term as us brainiacs on Swampside Chats, um, in in corporate rationality and th- that you know the stage of capitalism that people thought was going to be, you know, in a sort of Stalinist Kautskyoid succession. You know, corporate capitalism was supposed to be socialism. You're supposed to be the chosen one. Uh, now, th- this is actually really important part. This continues. This is actually quite relevant to the um, Peter Hudis quote that you read. Um, mm-hmm. And so it, we're going to be kind of harping on some of the same themes. In a higher phase of communist society, after the enslaving subordination of the individual to the division of labor, and thereby also the antithesis between mental and physical labor, has vanished. After labor has become not only a means of life, but life's prime desire and necessity. After the productive forces have also increased with the all-around development of the individual, and all the springs of cooperative wealth flow more abundantly, only then can the narrow horizon of bourgeois right be completely transcended, and society inscribe on its banners, from each according to his abilities, to each according to his needs. Did I say that right? Did I get my frums and twos right? All right, great. I think it's interesting here that uh, he says to inscribe on its society, inscribe on its banners, which is the reading I've I've come to from to have on this is that for Marx, the principle from each according to his abilities, so each according to his needs, isn't like re- strictly restricted to like you know a higher phase of communist society. It's just like it's only when you've like come past you know the initial hump of uh you know the the transition period and like the initial phase where you've you know you you have uh, some labor time planning and things uh get on the way that you can finally have it on society's banners but already from from what we've like talked about there's already in lower phase sort of like a political aspect to like uh, to it all where the principle from each according to his abilities, each according to his needs has some relevance. It's just not universalized yet because they're, they're like on practical limits. Right. You don't, you don't have, you're not, you don't have to manage scarcity in the same way. And I think, one thing that's key here too is that it isn't just like fully automated luxury what you know machines are just doing everything for us like it's reached a point where people um they don't see participating like in society and in like in work as just a thing to go in and get as much as you can for yourself and get out 
rather the act of doing that itself is where you sort of derive like it, it's like it's social and it's a part of where you derive like meaning as a person like existing in the world right and it's something that you use to develop yourself into you know sort of have communion with the world around you in in developing things so there is something about ch- changing the habitus of people um so that it's, they have a very different relationship to work than what tends to be fostered under a hyper-exploitive system like we have now. It's, it's basically a sort of, you know, it's. I think it's quite related to what Germans call Bildung. And, you know, it's a tradition that, like, Marx definitely is uh, one of the, the great representatives of where there's a... Where you kind of want to... He wants to be able to, like, bring this into, like, a possibility for everyone The the ability to like self-cultivate and not just be a sort of, you know, a, a laborer like who just has to always think about getting the necessities of life and not caring about how, you know, the what labor he has to do and why or what it means to him or to others. That Because that... This is a guy with a sort of Hegelian view of work, too. Like, well, okay, you're being enslaved by the exploiter, but hey, it's disciplining you into a compact mass, and it's going to help you overthrow things. And so there's, like, an element of optimism to his view of capitalism. Uh, You know, sitting here in, uh, you know, 2023, like, work is so destructive to people's capacities, like, for the most part, um, outside of, you know, some select things where people really feel like they get the flex something very positive um and i'm you know it's it's even it's a little hard to read that okay um labor has become not only a means of life but life's prime desire and necessity like it's it's you know there's that old maxim you know love your job and you'll never work a day in your life and it's there's a little bit of a nightmare quality to that in the capitalist world because it almost it's so unlikely that everyone is going to be able to do something that they actually like. So it sort of means shift your personality around so you could trick yourself into thinking you like this. But in this, in this scenario, you know, it's, it's supposed to be something else. It's supposed to be the alienation of labor. And so work doesn't suck, essentially. Like, you, it, doesn't, it just doesn't tear you down in the same way. Yeah, it's, it's not a place that you go to to get fucked every day. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a place that so you go to, to. Yeah, it's it's a place. It's a place that you go to. You know, yeah, basically to like participate in the world. You know, and to contribute something and to, ex- to the, to the yeah, and to express yourself. You know, yeah, and so, but it it takes it takes, and I think you know a lot of what work of like you could say like lower communism or socialism, whatever the early period like coming out of capitalism would just be. You know, like the, it's almost like the whole world would be in therapy in a sense. If you're just trying to like undo, undo like the damage and like the sort of antisocial behavior that has been fostered uh, by you know centuries of yeah, exploitation. Yeah, and just to go back to circle back around to what Constance was getting at with the famous last sentence and the inscriptions on the banners. Um, the operative word here is completely. You know, the reason he's saying inscribe this on the banners, you know, in the higher phase is because you can really, you can really, you know, put this up on the wall without feeling like a, without feeling like a hypocrite once 
the narrow horizon of bourgeois right is is overcome. But here's the secret to Marx. From each according to his abilities, to each according to his needs, is the communist egalitarian maxim. That's the kind of egalitarianism you're getting here. Like, and it does animate the earlier stage too. And that's why I really like the fundamental principles um, that, you know, GIC, um, you know, group of communists, from Holland, whatever stuff, is that it bakes us in from day one. You know, you would be crazy to do a bunch of accounting for something that's, there's already a surplus of. Just fucking, you know, no, everyone is already kind of in the high phase with that stuff. Only, you know, only do it for the stuff that, you know, people are not going to be able to get without this kind of accounting. And maybe, maybe this never gets completely phased out. Um, if we are to believe economics as a discipline that exists today, its fundamental concept is scarcity. Based on what we understand about the world and ecology, and if we're very invested in, you know, the sensuous being of stuff in the world and not its, you know, abstract ability to switch it out, you know, maybe there's just stuff that's scarce and we'll never have a replacement for it and we're always going to have to deal with it. But with this as the maxim, like, guiding everything that can be overcome, this is, this is a utopia worth fighting for. Yeah, it also does... Sh- it's interesting that uh, he's uh, Marx is um, using this in the context of like he's um, like a lot of like um, for example Lasalle's or Dosalian's um, ideas about you know worker cooperatives or whatever are just like from from like uh, Blanc's, Louis Blanc's um, ideas. Apparently, I think um, uh, if I remember correctly, I think. I think uh, it was first used by uh, K-Bit, but Blanc uh, also uses it uh, each according to his abilities, each according to his needs. Saint-Simon used according to works or whatever, I think. Although, I think maybe at the end of... I, I think maybe by the end of his life, uh, Saint-Simon also may, may have used according to needs. But, yeah. yeah. I mean, there there is there is the, you know... Lenin Saint John version of the maxim that's all work, right? Like, which also comes up a lot on uh, in um, German social democratic uh, publications, where uh, each according to each each according to works gets used a lot. Yeah, I think this this is a direct rejoinder to that stuff. This is the it's supposed to be some kind of way, way around it. That's how I read it. I you know I, I see that as as a way around this Christian maxim that is you know animating a lot of the most fervent radical egalitarians that have the temperament that are most likely to become the forerunners to the fucking nazis i I mean i would say a couple things um one yeah i mean i think that as you as you basically get out of the phase of bourgeois right that's when i mean you obviously you you still account for labor time and you still account for time because those are still significant like factors of production but it doesn't factor into any like any aspect really of remuneration, and it's no longer like the central axis around which planning takes place, right? Um, 
And then I feel like the other thing too that could be misleading about like the from each according to his ability to each according to his needs is that it still it still almost sounds if to contemporary ears it almost still sounds like a individualistic relationship along the lines of yeah what you being ableist you know according to his abilities huh yeah and also in inequality of in, uh, like the inequality of like individuals is like someone can just not have an ability the ability to like do something but like really be good at something else but um how to put it like the the just a variety of um you know the different abilities is itself you know part like this is how like marx talks about it you know the all-around development of the individual is part of like you know the actual like productive forces yeah yeah it's the most important productive force for him Mm -hmm. and creative capacity and being aware of you know each is the ability and that not being like used against you to just like take you down a notch and just like impoverish you instead it's you know there's an acknowledgement of uh of 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 particularity but also it's being like okay since we're all like kind of like bunched up together and we're just gonna pool our resources together then this this doesn't have to like matter and then everyone can 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 get can get their own yeah uh, because of the timing of when disability critical theory starts popping up it you know pops up in a highly anti-marxist moment and with the legacy of the productivist ussr um you know the... it's, not, it's not, not even just like the ussr even before like the ussr there's yeah, like yeah, yeah. so much like sure. pro- productivist like garbage in the and socialist thought where it was basically For sure. just, yeah no 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 good good point you know there's also the way that the social democrats create the fascists that are that are uh or syndicalists or just you know yeah but just dog water baseline like uh, productivism that doesn't acknowledge this marx uniquely has a standpoint that's adaptable to disability theory yeah like it's right there him and uh what would be uh well this one of the ironies right of um marx keeping is kind of like you know mouth shut a lot of times to like not just poo poo uh german social democracy is that it was kind of like communist anarchists who just from reading certain like french socialists got from each according to his abilities to each according to his needs and they would use it you know against those social democrats and marx kind of marx like kind of like agreed agreed with them well with him but since it like none of this stuff was published and like even like marx asked uh Liebnick to like show the critique to babel but babel hadn't seen it and he only learned of it when kowski published it in the new Zeit in the 18 uh, during the draft of the airford program yeah i think what we're learning here is that marx didn't drink enough he had too many inhibitions he needs he needed to lower his inhibitions not bite his tongue as much you heard it here first. Marx didn't drink enough. All right. Yeah, the alcohol acts as a preservative. I've said this before. He would have lived long. He could have lived to be 93 years old if he just completely saturated his blood cells with alcohol. Yeah. And uh, maybe we would maybe would have avoided a lot of headaches. Yeah. Uh, if we could have just got if we could have just gotten him to 1914 through the preservative power of liquor, I think uh, <laughs> I think we would have been okay. Yeah. 
I mean, in, yeah, in, we always in, keep up to date on the latest science here. In his youth, he was like on a life path. Like he would, like you know, he would. Uh, I think he would break like street lamps with angles and just be drunk and just like run away from the police or something. Yeah. How did how did that guy hold his tongue at the Gotha program? You know, the mind abounds. Yeah, it's. it's a, I think I think it was just happy people were reading his stuff at that point. Well, you know? they weren't really reading it. Yeah, they weren't re- like. I, I think he was. He, he, I think he complained that like Liebnick had probably read like twenty pages of Capital and then just like given up on it. <laughs> yeah, the only the only person who actually read it was Bakunin. Yeah, pr- pr- probably. <laughs> and I, I mean, I, I think I think I think Malatesta like had like a comment where it was like, oh yeah, a lot of anarchists like at the time, you know, were Marxist in political economy, which yeah, that's is, so is, fucking weird. Which is funny because you know, saying that like Marx Marx would probably just like you know get mad at like being called a political economist at like what he did with political economy, but it shows that you know. <laughs> they had bought her to read him and you know someone like Cafiero even with all the bad blood yeah. from Engels he did write you know a, comp- a compendium that was like really popular and, what, well, and was it was the, the only one it was the only one that Marx signed off on he was like oh yeah no that's a great summary of Capital thanks thanks uh, thanks dude I think like, he uh, might have also um, helped cur- do like proof corrections on Johan Most's uh, uh, Capital uh, abridgment but also, he had like problems with most who was like ended up like a critic of the SP day, but he which that's a whole other story. But, yeah. I have dealt at greater length with the undiminished proceeds of labor on the one hand, and with equal right and fair distribution on the other, in order to show what an outrage it is to attempt on the one hand to force on our party again as dogmas, ideas that in a certain period had some meaning, but have now become obsolete verbal rubbish while again perverting on the other, the realistic outlook that it costs so much effort to instill in the party, but that has now taken root in it by means of ideological nonsense about right and other nonsense common among the Democrats and French socialists. Quite apart from the analysis so far given, it was in general a mistake to make a fuss about so-called distribution and put the principal stress on it. At any given time, the distribution of the means of consumption is only a consequence of the distribution of the conditions of production themselves. The latter distribution, however, is a feature of the mode of production itself. The capitalist mode of production, for example, rests on the material conditions of production being in the hands of non-workers in the form of capital, I'm sorry, in the form of property in capital and land, while the masses are only owners of their personal prerequisites of production, of labor power. If the elements of production are so distributed, then the present-day distribution of the means of consumption results from this. If the material conditions of production are the cooperative property of the workers themselves, then there likewise results a distribution of the means of consumption different from the present one. Vulgar socialism, and from it in turn a section of the Democrats, has taken over from the bourgeois economists the consideration and treatment of distribution as independent of the mode of production, and hence the presentation of socialism 
as turning principally on distribution. After the real relation has been long made clear, why retrogress again? So in some capacity, this is about distribution, but it's not the distribution of the means of consumption. It's, you know, the distribution of the means of production, right? And we don't use the word distribution for that in Marxese usually. Usually this is, like equality, there's a certain like, you know, temporal, historical kind of location for what he's using for the word distribution. And so distribution and equality for Marx are, are almost always dealing with um, the means of consumption. I got in a slapdash uh, argument, one of the few that really rocked the Emancipation Network Discord, with uh, someone who kind of went third worldist about the means of consumption. And, you know, kind of sympathetic to people finding out, holy shit, people don't eat a lot in the third world. My God. Like, uh, you know, they don't have enough food. Holy shit. You know, there's all this stuff there that's, you know, it's pretty morally um, compelling stuff when you're faced with it, especially for the first time. Um, but I, I couldn't get across to this person that, look, if they owned their own resources and the way that they made shit, they, that's, that's not how it would be, you know, and focusing solely on that is, is missing the forest for the trees. You know, uh, I, I believe Zach De La Roja put it thusly, you know, fuck the G ride. I want the machines that are making them. Like, it's not about giving everyone a G-Ride. It's about, you know, people working at the G-Ride factory owning it. <laughs> that's... Yeah. That's it. Well, and you could... Within a certain mode of production, you can tweak, like, the distribution up to a point. But there's 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 limits, which is the problem. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's not really socialism because if you're just tweaking distribution... That's the problem with distributionism. You're not really, if you're just tweaking distribution, you're not really, it's not really socialism. You're just you know, sort of uh, doing harm reduction within the system as it exists. Right. Or, or it's socialism in this, like, bourgeois capitalist corporate sense of, <laughs> you know, of um, because, you know, this is what actually becomes of the corporate mode of, of organizing within capitalism. And, you know, that's it's still patently bourgeois, but it was, I don't know, for people 100 years ago, they thought this was the, the new phase of how capitalism was giving birth to, to communism. Um, and it's, it's just not, it's fundamentally incapable of really like addressing, um, you know, even if, even if you do have some kind of, you know, legal diffuse ownership as you do in some corporate enterprises, you, you don't have uh, the thing that really matters, which is a, a real say over how things are going. Like, and and what you do with the stuff that gets made you just don't have that that facet of alienation remains it's also kind of interesting here that you know he he mentions the vulgar socialism and then he makes sure to note of like oh there's always going to be a section of bourgeois who like like this which you don't say yeah although it does mean that like there's there are probably like vulgar socialists that have like to be distinguished from you know Democrats were just kind of, you know, following the footsteps of the vulgar socialists because 
since of course they want to uphold capitalism and they see uh, the problem and they they see oh we can maybe do a fix with distribute by changing distribution it it kind of like conditions yeah. the fact that like you're when you're going to be a full group socialist there's going to be the the democrats right behind you and probably eager to join you in some well, there, there, there's a sense in which the american style where you don't call those people socialists you know you just call them progressive democrats that's more accurate Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's just more accurate they're, they're not actually because this this emerging corporate form turned out to not be the vessel of, of communism it's just the new phase of capitalism you know if you're a progressive democrat and you don't believe in you know getting rid of capitalism you don't believe in overcoming capitalism that's perfectly consistent that's that's a consistent like egalitarian distributionist way of looking at it and you know I used to feel very differently. I, I used to look to the European social democratic tradition, however flawed, <laughs> you know, yeah. I really like, and yeah. being like, oh, oh my God, like, you know, at least they're, you know, in touch with this, like, you know, really cool, like bunch of books and this whole, like, wow, what a, you know, um, like the, the, the Swedish road to the mixed economy. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Oof. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like in a sense, the progressive Democrats are more clear eyed. They know they're not building socialism. They're not going to call their their shit communes and make a parody of the word. They're just going to be like, yeah, no, this is like really fair capitalism, huh, guys? Like, Which is, yeah, perhaps one of the reasons. I mean, I pre- yeah, I, pre- I, I appreciate when it's honest like that, you know. That's why, I don't know. That's why I kind of appreciate somebody like uh, like Kyle Kalinske because like he never pretended to be like a socialist oh. or anything like that. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's just like, no, I'm just you know, I just want like rational like liberal government. That's it. You know. Oh, it's a uh, Kyle Kalinske is like um, he started off as like a YouTuber, like doing like sort of like progressive news, and he's like he was yeah. like one of the first. I think he also like wasn't the co-founders of like Justice Democrats. I think. Yeah. Something. Yeah. Okay. You know, there was a point where I would ask these questions to clarify for the listener, you know, just yeah. in case they weren't in our world. And now I'm actually just asking, who the fuck is that guy? So thank you. <laughs> I, I think he's also, uh, yeah, I think one of the other co-founders of Justice Democrats is like Shank Huger of TYT. But I think now, I think Kyle Kalinske is like the more progressive out of two now because he kind of like sometimes calls out transphobia. Yeah, you don't say. Yeah, instead of, you know, right. You know? Radical political podcast, uh, the Nazis. Or, you know, I don't know if you name yourself after like a, a genocidal group. I, I think you know what you see is what you get. You know, Young Turks. All right. Yeah. Well, and Kyle Kalinske actually left Justice Democrats because he thought they were too opportunistic, which is interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Oh. oh. You know what? Respect to that guy for having a, a apparently having a soul completely at odds with the. Uh, you know, the central thing about politics, which is it's greasily opportunistic and it's where justice goes to die. But, you know, I guess I, I, I don't know who this guy is, but good on you. Look, if if people like actually like behaved as if, you know, <laughs> they believed in what they said and acted as such, even if, you know, like even if, you know, they're, they're not my ally, it makes things a lot easier Right. To have like, oh, I, I have to like decode what like your actions, like figure out what you actually mean on my own instead of you just ha- ha- having this shit figured out for yourself. 
it's a lot less uh, yeah yeah it's less gaslighty it just is like no 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 this you know really fairly managed capitalist economy and it's bourgeois institutions this is all socialist like it's just if you take and again maybe you don't give a shit about Marx's political economy maybe you just like his beard and how he looks on a poster and you know you, you don't care about the content of his thought and you don't mind making like a meat puppet out of his legacy yeah you know that's fine like um if you don't mind that if that doesn't like turn your stomach and make your stomach acid like boil then then i i guess you know have at it Haas. like prove baudrillard right um also <laughs> it look nowadays standards are like so low that like oh yeah if you know, if someone is like, yeah, actually, I think scabs are bad and like strike baking is bad, you know, that's like a good indication that you're at least like worth like uh, talking to and just, you know, collaborating with on certain things, I guess. That's it for this time. Our read through is taking a little longer than we thought, but we are making progress and uh, there is a lot to talk about in the text. Uh, we got some different content coming your way soon. Uh, but until then, if you need to get a hold of us, you can email us at swapsidechats at gmail.com or hit us up on socials. And uh, that's it. So until next time, keep your boots clean, your feet out of the swamp, and your head in the revolutionary clouds of tomorrow. <laughs>